Hi and welcome to this week's episode on Amplify where we will be looking at sustainability and health. Though the impact of climate change on public health and public health policy is a topic in and of itself, this week's episode focuses on our individual conceptions of health and nutrition. We look at the question, how do we bring about long-term behavioral shifts? What does being healthy actually mean? We focus on dichotomous narratives that look at clean slash dirty eating or cheat slash guilt-free meals, calorie counting, issues of body dysmorphia, fat phobia, and how these perpetuate a harmful idea of health being related to what we look like as opposed to how we feel. We talk about the importance of moving beyond these narratives, restrictive eating, fad diets, and the importance of learning to bridge the mind-body disconnect, where we respond intuitively to our body as opposed to following a health diktat. This episode looks at how physical and mental wellness and living sustainably are interconnected and how we can embark on exploring this relationship with ourselves and nature. week's episode on Amplify where I am in conversation with Sarah Edwards who is the founder of Copper and Clothes. Copper and Clothes is a hub and resource for people who are interested in eating more plant-based diets, who are interested in learning to cook more delicious food using local and sustainable ingredients and of course Sarah is now also the owner of her very own cafe (laughs) in Bangalore And today we're going to talk about her training as a health and nutrition coach, her foray into zero waste eating and living, and a lot more things. So thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for asking me. Honestly, I felt very uh, honored (laughs) to be asked. And thank you for such a lovely introduction also. Thank you so much once again for being here and for finding time for this. So Sarah, just to start off, can you talk about what your outlook was like on health and food or mm. when you were growing up? Yes. So I don't think I gave it too much thought. I think uh, I have to look back and say, you know, your mom is always right. My mom from an early age had an understanding that we, we should eat well, that junk food shouldn't play a huge role in our diets. And she tried to, she was an early adopter of organic food. And actually I always tell the story that when I was about 13, 12, so it was like early 2000s, maybe 2001, 2000, that she was already brewing kombucha in our house. And me and my sister were like, oh my God, mom, what is that? That is so weird. We were so embarrassed when our friends came around. So ironic now that we're both like in the health health food space, brewing kombucha. But, you know, as, as always, like your, you know, your mom maybe knows a little better and I don't, I didn't adopt it as my main. It wasn't something I thought about that much. It wasn't a huge part Mm. of my life, Mm. but I do looking back really appreciate that we did have, you know, whole foods as the main part of our diet. But obviously we do also know a lot more now, even than anyone knew back then. So I think that my journey kind of then went into a typical teenage and college student where I, you know, I really stopped caring about health and and healthy foods. And, and I was very much in a typical student. It was more about cheap cost and quick foods and you know we drank a lot at college in the UK mm. as you know <laughs> uh, that's kind <laughs> of part know. of the culture there <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and there was an element of just eating junk food and hungover snacking and things when I was in my 20s was when I really started eating I started noticing how different I felt when I ate well, I got more into it because I I started running and sort of naturally had to look at my nutrition and my, whether it was my protein intake or my energy intake. And I think before that I had been a lot more in a, in a mindset of kind of 
food is just fuel and unless you need to lose weight. And it was really about understanding about nutrition rather than weight loss yeah. and nourishing oneself rather than just balancing calories that, that inspired me to, to, to go where I am today. Mm. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that aspect about, you know, health being equivalent to losing weight or yeah, being healthy, so, looking a certain yeah. But before we get into that, I just wanted to cover a couple of more bases about how you decided to become a health coach. You know, was it around your 20s then that you thought that, okay, there's something that I am mm. doing that perhaps others may not know about or others aren't doing just yet. And, and I should be in this space sort of like spreading awareness or what, what was it that sort of like, you know, that moment if you will, yeah. you thought that, okay, this is what I want to do as a career? That's such a good question. Actually, it wasn't until I moved to India. So I worked in the NGO mm. space when I lived in London. I did my master's in international development and I ended up focusing a lot on India, which is, right. you know, I, I worked here a lot. And in Bangladesh, I worked with Save the Children and with a refugee organization as well. And then I ended up working in a social work transformation program in the UK. And mm. then I moved to Bangalore and I had been just so drawn to India for such a long time, ever since I came here first when I was young. And I sort of always wanted to live here one day. And I came here within the same realm of education and development. And I worked for a, an amazing NGO called Teach for India. So I was working in Bombay and in, in Bangalore, working in, within kind of fundraising and, you know, program evaluation and those kinds of things. And I really loved it. But so alongside this, like I said, in my 20s, I transformed the way I eat, the way that I exercise and gradually the way I felt about mm-hmm. myself, about my body and transformed my relationship with food from one that was very kind of either fraught in terms of that, what we already talked about, that weight loss thing, that weight loss dimension, or, you know, and also had really gained a lot of understanding about nutrition. And so it wasn't until I was here that I really saw that as an opportunity because I did really feel that actually the conversation was still so stuck about about calories and weight loss. So it was almost that that maybe inspired me to think like actually maybe there is a career for for me in this because I was so passionate about it and the Mm. other thing that also brought me into food more here was that I was you know I've always been a passionate cook and I was cooking the same food which I'd kind of the style I developed of basically this whole thing about making plant-based food taste really really good and be really celebratory and not be about restriction or denial and I it was the response to that when I was cooking just for friends they were like what is this like (laughs) this is not something I've experienced before like this is not a salad surely like yeah and I was like no it is you know I mean well what is a salad you know it's just a mix-up of things and these are like roast vegetables (laughs) but with some crunch and with some freshness and you know I found these in the market and I didn't know what to do with them so I just kind of roasted them with some spices and now I've put them in this and people were like, oh, wow, that's so amazing. And that also really pushed me into food here. I was like, I think there's a gap in the market here for plant-based healthy food that is actually, you know, inspired by flavors from around the world, inspired by cooking techniques from around the world. And it doesn't fit neatly into like what people think of as a salad or Italian food or, Mm. you know, snack bar food. It's, It's just more of a style and so that those two things together it all sort of happened quite organically but Mm -hmm. I did do I I did decide that I did want to follow my passion of food as a career and then I did a course um, which is a New York-based school the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and that's what got me started on health coaching but I was always interested in the kind of cooking and food side so I really wove that into the like teaching people how to cook as part of my coaching from the beginning. Mm. Yeah. And um, it's interesting how you talk about how the vegan 
food space or just the vegetarian food space in general is like heavily populated by Italian food. It's just like a lot of people cannot, you know, go beyond pastas or vegan pizzas. And I think it's exciting to see that that innovation is possible in this space, right? So it's not just, you know, some pasta and sauce that you have to make and and then you're done. Did you find there was this, you know, difference? I mean, you've touched upon that, but did you find that there were sort of more differences or there were similarities in the outlook on eating locally, eating sustainable, eating sustainably, sorry, while you were living in Bangalore as opposed to when you were in London? I think it's, this is such an interesting question because I think that it's very different but and in different ways. I think in London, there's a lot of rhetoric and narrative around the importance of eating local and sustainably and mm. seasonally. Mm. And there are a lot of restaurants which are really based on that and I find them really inspiring. So there's a lot of you know restaurants that will be totally focused on you know, everything's seasonal, the menu changes all the time. We, you know, literally yeah. saying that like, we don't get any food from outside of a 50 mile radius of this, of mm. this thing. And those restaurants are famous. And I, I, I loved, I mean, I, I visited some of them. I was more just inspired and followers of others, of the chefs and the, you know, the idea of foraging for your food, the idea mm. of, you know, there being seasonal, like strawberries come into the season and then they're on the menu and then they're off the menu. Right. And, um, but the way people live day to day is you walk into any, you know, the big supermarkets that people's day to day shopping habits. And even for me, I, I mean, I love those restaurants. I believed in those chef's philosophies. But when I went into the supermarket, I didn't give so much thought because almost everything was imported. You know, I would just, you know, you'd, you didn't notice that the, the blueberries would come from the UK for about two months of the year. And seamlessly, then they'd be coming from Peru or wherever, Mm. other places. But you wouldn't really notice because they're just there all the time. And the price doesn't even change that much. So when I moved to India, what I noticed was it was almost the reverse. Day to day, people actually live very seasonally. It's mango season. And then Mm. there's no mangoes. Whereas in the UK, you can get mangoes all year round. I mean, they're nowhere near as good as they are here, but Mm. they're just coming from different places at different times of the year. And you don't really notice like, oh, it's it's this season. And of course, in strawberry season in the UK, there are way more strawberries, but you can actually buy them throughout the year. And so here, I felt that like day to day, it was forced seasonal because unless you go to food hall and spend a fortune... I literally spend like 700 rupees on a punnet of blueberries. You kind of have to eat seasonally. But what I felt was that in the restaurants, it was almost the opposite. Restaurants didn't have any narrative about it being seasonal. And in fact, a lot of the food was imported. And restaurants wouldn't want to not have, you know, imported cheese or imported veggies and, you know, asparagus or whatever it was that was from abroad would be almost like the star. It's like, oh, wow, when you go to that really good restaurant, you know, they have good quality this and it's all imported. So I felt like that was, again, where there was a bit of a a gap. And, And the other thing was for me to use this seasonal produce in different ways. So like when I had a bottle gourd and I made it into a salad by kind of slicing it really thinly and marinating it in lime and chili and coriander and things. And people were like, whoa, like that's not how you use bottle gourd. But in some ways, I guess I had that advantage of not yeah. having the, the strong traditional, like this is how you do, this is how you make this. Exactly. So yeah, I think that's kind of how the seasonality and local, eat local conversation is different. And I think that what I've tried to do is, I mean, I've had a lot to learn about eating locally here because these vegetables aren't, weren't my, the vegetables I learned to cook with. So learning to cook with them and, and, and also just, just forgetting about, you know, asparagus or, you know, things that don't grow. Celery. (laughs) Yeah. Celery. And, uh, you know, I remember seeing like a butternut squash in nature's basket that cost two thousand nine hundred rupees and being like but who is buying this imported yeah almost three thousand rupee butternut squash like I don't understand we could use the red pumpkin 
which is locally grown. It tastes just as like it's the same flavor profile and texture. And I find that kind of thing really confusing. One of the things that I've actually noticed, it's, I don't think this is in India. It's not in London. It's actually something that's being done in LA at the moment because I follow one right. of the um, climate activists called mm. Isaias Hernandez and he lives in LA. And he was talking right. about how in LA they recently introduced climate-friendly menus. So what that means is whatever um. you order, you kind of get an idea of, depending on what ingredients they've used, like what is the carbon footprint? So for instance, you know, yeah. if you imported something all the way from Peru. Interesting. Then you get an idea that, okay, you have consumed like this much in, or you have taken up this much in carbon, mm. I think is really interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. That's a good idea and a good thing for me to think about. Yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I think it's a good thing for like almost all restaurants to sort of get on board with, to sort of like push the drive towards local eating and actually just give an idea of why because, you know, sometimes people will be like, yes, I want to eat locally, but why can't I eat a butternut squash? And a lot of people may not mm. know the entire, you know, like the impact that it has on climate change. Exactly. And how did then copper and cloves come into being? So, I mean, like I said, I'd been, I was doing my course and I was, I knew that I wanted to start just trying to reach more people because I did find that like my friends had been really pleasantly, like genuinely saying like, this is the best salad. Like this makes me want to eat more vegetables. And, and I was like, that's amazing. I mean, that's, that's obviously, that was what I also experienced. Like when I learned to make vegetables taste really good, I wanted to eat more of them. I mean, that's exactly what, like why I'm doing this. So I knew I wanted to kind of try and reach more people. And my idea was to start with events. So just like supper clubs or brunches and things. And I was really lucky to have met someone who introduced me to Nicobar. And the Nicobar store in Bangalore is so beautiful. And they wanted to run events there, like mm. mindful or well-being focused events. And I had met a yoga teacher and we in, in London, we used to have things called yoga brunches which is exactly as it sounds, like you, you do a yoga class and then everyone sits around all together and eats a healthy brunch and gets to meet new people. And I'd also felt when I'd moved here that I did miss that kind of, you know, I was trying to make friends, but a lot of the socializing was only through going out and, mm -hmm. and drinking in the evening. And, and I think as well, there's always a gap for kind of events that enable you to meet people yeah. that aren't related to just like drinking culture or, mm. or going out. Yeah. So when I was lucky enough to get Nicobar on board with this idea of a yoga brunch, that, that's sort of really where I was like, okay, I need to turn this into something. I want to form something that can act as maybe a hub as I think, you know, what I'm aiming to do now. So yeah, so I just, coming up with the name was just, I knew I wanted it to be, you know, centered in the idea of of health and and of food but not overtly so like you know sort of playing around with like Sarah's healthy kitchen I was like I don't want it to be so you know overtly <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and then eat green you know, with Sarah. I, so then I, <laughs> and then I was thinking well India you know I, I want it to again be evocative of India but without overtly so so I was thinking of playing with spices and then and copper is such a beautiful material and Absolutely. and so linked to well-being in particularly in in Indian culture but but increasingly known so that's yeah and I liked the the sound of it so that's how I kind of decided on copper and cloves but I knew I kind of wanted something to get recipes out there and and I've always kind of done that like even from the beginning the idea was like, if I'm doing a brunch, that I'd give away a recipe card as well. So it's not about holding the information because, you know, also I'm not some amazing chef. I'm actually just a home cook. And if I can do it, anyone can. So the purpose has always been to share and inspire people to cook, even if it's me cooking the food. So I really felt like I needed a platform like Copper and Clothes to do that. And I think that's a great name. I think... You know, like, it's kind of... Thank you. 
It's a bit difficult, you know, because now a lot of people are getting aware about zero waste eating or, um, you know, healthier eating and that's mm. great. But then it's like, you know, how do you name yourself or how do you discover or not discover, create a platform rather um, without yeah. using the word holistic or without using the yeah. word you know, green yeah. or clean or whatever, you know, because these words have just been overused to the point that sometimes I feel that it kind of takes away from perhaps yeah. that you're doing because people just get caught up in the perception of it. Yeah, exactly. I think so. That can be a barrier, I think. So mm. again, I, it's always been a, trying to be more inviting. Yeah, absolutely. And going back a bit to health that we you you brought up and we touched upon earlier you know just counting calories clean mm. and dirty eating clean and yeah. dirty eating body shaming fat phobia you know these are all things that people are talking about it now but how how do they link into the bigger conversation on health you know how how is our view on health limited so many ways I really do feel that I'm so glad, like even we're having this conversation, this is starting to come into consciousness now. Although I do still see such a huge focus on counting calories and body shaming. And this idea that like, if you are this idea that your body type, let alone shape is somehow inherently linked to a, your health and B your worth even worse. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's a really limiting conversation. I think that the narrow focus on, like, the pursuit of thinness or whatever, and then it got changed to, oh, no, it's not about being skinny. It's about being, like, lean and strong, and that's empowering. Mm. And it's like, well, I mean, yes, being strong is empowering, but it's not about being strong, is it, really? It's about being lean. Yeah. And so it's just wrapped up in a different form. And, and yes, I really do believe that. And honestly, when I'm saying this, like I don't mean to sound in any way kind of dismissive because I have been there. Like I have been so caught up in a pursuit of leanness and strength and physical, like it needing my body to sort of demonstrate my physical fitness. So I, I have nothing but kind of, love and compassion for like why we're in this state and and I can really understand how it happens it's just once I could see through it I'm not saying I'm not still affected by it but once it's almost just so helpful to take a step back and just see that this is another way that we are being sold things we are being controlled and when you can see that it it's it's simply another way of of sort of creating impossible standards and and I would say for women but I think it's it's just increasingly for all people of all genders it just seems to be really a um like unlearning that was very slow I I I I also found some you know some one it was actually a podcast which I'm so passionate about podcasts and was so happy that you asked me to be on yours because I think I was once listening to a podcast and I can't remember how I'd found it, but it was a wake up call because I had also been, you know, buying into the idea of clean foods and like pursuing leanness as long as it's not skinniness and not, not like pursuing strength at the same time was therefore healthy. And I suddenly had this wake up call that like, but I'm still like shaming myself. I'm still using, I'm still staring in the mirror and using the the mirror as a as a dictator of how I feel about myself and what I deserve in terms of kind of external validation and also just whether I deserve to kind of eat what I feel like eating. And that was hugely, it was a wake up call. And then I think um, listening to more people in this space allowed me to finally kind of, I guess, reach my own balance but again I really wouldn't say that oh now I'm totally free of it because it's so insidious I mean you can't escape it you can't yeah and then even maybe without realizing it or or realizing it but sort of feeling unable to stop it you it it still impacts me sometimes 
I mean, it, I guess going back to a question on like how it's limited is that if we have freedom where we genuinely learn to listen to our bodies and this is where I, I try and teach and practice myself also um, mindful eating and generally mindfulness where you do become in tune with your body. You think about what you enjoy eating, what makes you feel good. Uh, also with an element of, of, of equipping yourself with what is nourishing and what your body needs, but also focusing a lot on you know, sleeping well and breathing and ensuring that you do enough, you know, yeah. work on your, your own mindset, basically, mm. that those things are so much like the way that the, the conversation about counting calories and, 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 um, you know, clean versus dirty eating is, is, is limited is it almost makes it out like, well, that's the most important thing about being well, wellness, mm. whereas wellness, if you're defining wellness as, you know, thriving, living a life that makes you feel amazing that lets you have impact and that makes you feel free yeah then there's so much more value in also focusing on for example mindfulness or you know examining what your deep fears and insecurities are and looking at overcoming that but if your main focus is on you know what have I eaten logging my calories my weight my workouts I'm not saying there's anything wrong with with workouts exercise eating well it's just it, it's so distracting as well from some of the other really important things that we need to focus on for our for overall well-being and I mean I haven't even got into because it's really not my area of expertise I'm just a real supporter of these people's work is like you know body shaming and fat phobia where how people are actually made to feel and how people are actually abused in society by you know social media and 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 day-to-day -day interactions yeah um because people just take it as a truth that being overweight is somehow makes a person undeserving and I know you know it really isn't something I feel confident talking a lot about but it's something I'm aware of and I feel very strongly about yeah I feel like when the mind and body disconnect is kind of reinforced when you look at the current conversation on wellness and self-care and it only centers yes. people who look a certain way. It only centers people who have access to certain kinds of lifestyle or diet forms or, you know, whatever it is. And then you're like, okay, so if I am, you know, white yeah. and straight yeah. and thin and and yeah. yoga on yeah. the side of a mountain topless and then yeah. I you know as opposed to yeah. you know like being in in tune and being aware of what it is that feeds you what it is that heals you exactly the entirety and yeah you're absolutely right when it comes to all of this is just so inherently linked to worth and when it comes to people yeah that People just assume yeah. that, you know, it's that they don't want better for their body. It's that they're, you know, quote unquote lazy or that they are mm. not motivated enough. And, and in, in, that self, in, in that narrative, you know, people, we end up like discrediting them. We end up running yeah. them. And then yeah. the worst side of it is the abuse and, the, and all of the horrible things that yeah. you experience, whether in real life or on social media. Well, exactly. And, and when I say abuse, it may be, it may be overt, but even it's just that inherent, like if you're just basically making a person feel like they're worth less because of how they look or, or even, you know, or what they eat or what they do, then that's also abuse. Like it, it's a, it's an abusive culture and that sometimes manifests in, you know, in really things that we can, we can see are awful. You know, I would never like say that to a person or do that physical thing to a person. And yet we don't realize that we, that how much it actually is in, inherent, I think, in some of our just narrative and dialogue, you yeah. know, like telling a person or, or like, you know, discussing, almost assuming that a person, whether they're assuming that they're lazy or assuming that they need to be on a diet and telling them about that diet 
even that is is so damaging mm. even if 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 somebody's trying to be helpful so i think that we need to really examine that culture and yeah that's what i guess as a health coach where you know you sort of i try and start around well, let's just get to the bottom of what your beliefs about yourself are before we get into anything around how to... And of course, you can do things simultaneously. I mean, you can. I, I also don't want the conversation to go too far the other way where there is still a lot of value in looking at what you eat and ensuring yeah. that it's in line with the best health for you. But that's where I think it's also really interesting to come at where I try and bring more of environmental considerations into my health coaching. Mm. Because actually, rather than shaming yourself at wanting to eat something sugary, which has literally been designed cleverly according to, you know, cleverly designed by food scientists to make you want to eat it. Mm. So rather than, feeling bad about yourself for wanting to eat it, take a step back and think, well, why, why might I want to cut these things out? Yes, they may not be that good for me. Yes, they may be like totally full of chemicals and laden with calories, but rather than avoiding that because quote unquote, I don't want to be to gain weight. We can think about it more from a, like, well, what is the, I mean, when we really think about it deeply, like what is the impact of this, chocolate bar on the world and on the environment as well so taking not just a kind of individualistic view towards food can help I think obviously it helped from an environmental standpoint but also it can help like drain the charge out of the decision mm. so it's like actually this is covered in like all of this packaged food which is not good for my health is also covered in plastic and is it either imported or, you know, is this company like, what are the values of this company? So trying to kind of it not just be a relationship between you and your body and your aesthetic goals. Yeah. And as a health coach, I mean, did you come across these issues and concerns quite commonly? Were they faced by your uh, it, I mean, not just commonly, like consistently. I, I don't think I've ever had. Yeah. a health coaching client who hasn't been, you know, negatively impacted by the current rhetoric, you know, that we have in society around thin being the thin ideal. And I think it does affect my younger female clients more than my older male clients. And I've seen it affect female clients more but younger male clients, I, I think it's the same. Yeah. So I think that that's been one change, not for the best, <laughs> that's yeah. happened in the sense that it's become more insidious yeah. uh, for both genders. But I do see that, yeah, that my female clients are more impacted by this mm. because it's, they've grown up with this idea and they've been on diets. They've not come to me because it suddenly occurred to them that they need to like they want to change something mm -hmm. they've been trying to change something their entire life and sometimes the relationship as a health coach there is a bit of a like I'm not going to put I'm not going to write you a meal plan or put you on or like tell you how much or like count your calories for you yeah. you know yeah I mean even in terms of you know just talking about thinness just adding to the bit about thinness being the ideal you know even when you look at how that translates into what people wear which I know is like a little bit yeah. outside of the conversation yeah. we're having but in terms of fashion as well it's always about you know what makes us look taller or slimmer or yeah or lankier or you know it's it's like yeah. and clothes you know in terms of how fat phobia seeps into various aspects you know, the, the sizes that most, if not all, clothing companies have, they stop at like, what, size 14, a UK size 14. Yeah, yeah, large, yeah. Large. It just does not 
make any room or have any space for people who are fat. So, you know, it's it's something that like seeps into nearly every aspect of Yeah, life. exactly. Like you rightfully said is insidious. And yeah. Where does one then, you know, like for instance with your clients, like how do you bring about long-term mindset and behavioral changes because I imagine then you're kind of like going into a foraying into shrink territory (laughs) because you're trying to like get them to unlearn all of these things. Yeah. And it is that, I mean, the way I coach my style of health coaching is way more, it is less about me kind of right. I want to clean up your diet and I want to put, I want you to start this and that. I mean, we, there is an element of foraying into really looking at deep set mindsets, obviously knowing my boundaries and limits and not, it's less about kind of what, what has happened in your history. I mean, that kind of thing we obviously touch on, but I would always encourage clients then to seek maybe counseling with a trained therapist to explore that, but that doesn't, you can still do work to find out what, okay, well, what is the, what is the literal deep held belief? And it's often around which all of us humans tend to have, to be honest, and it just manifests in different ways in our behaviors, but a sort of deep seated belief that we're not enough or we don't have inherent worth and that our inherent worth, like our worth is linked to other things, whether it's, you know, somebody who's addicted to relationships and needs that worth from others mm-hmm. or whether it's someone who, who needs to succeed or whether it's somebody and have all of accolades or whether it's, it's more in, in how they look, like all of these different external displays of deeper mindsets. And so the first step is just working out the awareness piece. So just helping people to gain awareness of what they're thinking about themselves and the way that they talk to themselves. And ultimately my, you know, as a coach, everything I'm trying to do is coming down to if you have a deep sense of self-worth and self-love, everything else does kind of work itself out. It's not that I can't help you, you know, give you recipes and get you excited about cooking all these in Mm. these different ways. And, you know, give you tips about journaling or, or, or morning routines or, you know, work with, you know, again, it's not my area of expertise, but draw in expertise of, of personal trainers or whatever to give you, you know, motivating ways of exercising. But if you don't have a, a sense of self-worth, I mean, that's the thing that I want to keep working with my clients on. So it doesn't have to be one. I think the other crucial thing, though, is is that I don't see it's like, okay, first you have to achieve Mm. total self-love and acceptance and and a real deep understanding that you, as a person, as just by the nature of your existence, have inherent worth and value. That is a deep, I mean, that's difficult for everybody, even no matter how much work you've done. It doesn't mean that you have to get there and only then you should, you, you, you should look at maybe what you eat and how it impacts you. So, you, you know, it's sort of like keep revisiting and keep supporting people to transcend some of the limiting self-beliefs that they've, you know, that we all have and that we've all built up over time whilst at the same time, you know, more practical focus on okay well what's something that you could do today that you know will make you feel good what's some or, or introducing someone to a new way of eating maybe yeah. but always knowing that that's not it's not really enough as it is yeah like you can't just eat and exercise your way into good health yeah I'd and say like true true health exactly and it's it's I mean I think you rightly pointed out that it's not linear you know it's not that you know step one get your yeah um, exactly. mindset sorted step two make 10 salads like <laughs> in exactly, one month. Exactly. step three get eight hours of sleep every night it's, it's just not I mean as yeah. perhaps like we would like that because then it would be that okay I, at least I know at least I'm being told what to do but it just doesn't look like yeah even if you created that, that you just use it. If you just use it as a new way to make yourself feel inadequate that you're not doing it, 
and then you would self-sabotage even more. I mean, that's the nature of how we operate. So even if you can give people programs that you know work for one person, but you, unless their mindset is exactly the same, it, it's not necessarily going to work for another person. Mm. So I don't have a strict like program or steps apart from, but I have themes and the themes are looking at that, that mindset. Um, and of course, looking at food, looking at movement. So I'd rather say movement than, you know, being really strict about like, you know, I don't have ideas that like you should do this kind of workout Mm. and looking at sleep, looking at stress, generally looking at mindfulness and mindful eating is something that I really, really focus on with my clients. So really just simply meaning like present moment awareness as you're eating and body awareness as you're eating and as it relates to food. And what I find is, you know, when you're really aware of your body and you really have a strong mind body connection, you, you don't crave things which make you feel rubbish all the time. You may sometimes, you know, have some, but I think a lot of people are really scared that if they allow themselves to kind of, eat what their body wants but they'll just binge on on fast food and packaged food and very very high sugary food all the time and actually I I think the opposite is, is true that when you when you restrict those things and say they're off limits you're way more likely to create a state in your mind where you then binge on them sometimes or regularly yeah. whereas when you when foods aren't off limits and you pay attention to how you actually feel, you find that you actually crave. The real true body cravings are for basically plants, nourishing food, to eat them slowly and enjoy them. And the psychological cravings tend to reduce at that point. Yeah, and I think when there is this narrative as well as around what you shouldn't be eating, then you're kind of Mm. reinforcing this dichotomy of, you know, the good eating or or clean eating and dirty eating. And it kind of falls into this whole cheat meals thing. And cheat meals is like, you know, it's, it's, I mean, why is it called that? You know, like it's actually just damaging because people then, because then you're getting into the whole, you should feel guilty that you've eaten this. Exactly. And then you should beat yourself up about the fact that you haven't, you know, gotten back on, you know, quote, on the wagon of clean eating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on and on it goes. I think we really need to, like, think about our language in relation to food. Just exactly the idea that you're cheating. Cheating is a word which has such negative connotations in, in all other contexts. And this, even without realizing it, and I'm really, really careful even when I talk about food and when I talk about in the cafe menu, for example, like it's, it's so easy to write like guilt-free, this Mm -hmm. guilt-free dessert because it doesn't have sugar. Okay. Some of our desserts, you know, we don't have, we don't use any refined flours, sugars, or oils in our food for health reasons. But I'm really careful not to use language like sin-free or guilt-free or, Mm. you know, you can still feel like virtuous while eating this, you know, this sweet treat. So it's sort of equally, it's difficult to avoid, but, you know, sometimes I know when it, when it, when my food's been written about, it's described as guilt-free and I'm not criticizing anyone or, 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 you know, or ridiculing them for using this. I mean, like we said, it's just so insidious. It's so a part of just the language that we use. Mm. But I try to be really careful around it because, like you say, on what, like all food is guilt-free. Like on, on no level should people feel guilty about eating things. And it's when we find food freedom through mindful eating, through intuitive eating, through recognizing these patterns of thinking that that have developed in society that we buy into and then actively choosing to transcend them. When you have that food freedom, you also find like you, your body will crave and naturally 
balanced and healthy diet. I, I really do believe that, that your, your inherent nature is that. It's all the other stuff that gets in the way, your own think, feeling about it, you know, buying into marketing, buying into diets, like all of these things have got in the way of our body's like ability to know how to nourish ourselves individually. And it's so interesting that you're, I mean, it's, it's interesting on a personal level because hearing you talk about your cafe is making me hungry and I've actually done one of those <laughs> things. I, I mean, like, it's, I'm just going to like confess to doing these things. I'm one of those people who like, like looks over menus of cafes and re- restaurants that I like when mm-hmm. I'm like <laughs> sitting around with a bit of spare time. So I'm that yeah. person who like, and even if like one of my friends is like, not now, but back in the day when, you know, the world was a different place, I'd be like, mm. oh, let's go out and grab some food. I would like look up the menu of the restaurant that we were going to. So, oh, me too. Yeah. So <laughs> in I've advance, your, yeah. I've actually looked at your restaurant menu and I've been like, oh my God, that's oh. so good. And, you know, I live in Mumbai and you're in Bangalore, but I have done that and I am all kinds of, food obsessed um, <laughs> in a positive way but like let's talk about your cafe and let's talk about how you know you you've so started this and got this going under a pandemic no less <laughs> like, yeah people incredible. are like oh, congratulations you're opening a cafe during a <laughs> pandemic like what is what is wrong with you no thank you I'm so glad you like the look of the menu and I really hope that when things calm down that you can visit and that we can chat face to face, but yeah, no, well, actually, I mean, the, it's a partnership with the organic world, which is an organic food store or a number of stores in Bangalore. And I've done work with them for years, actually. I, you know, I used to do kind of cooking like at the very beginning, like cooking workshops in their stores to help people know how to use like things like millets in different ways. So I, you know, I do like salad workshops, mm. dips and things like doing recipe cards and stuff. So we've, we've had a, we've worked together and then when they, you know, they, they had a cafe space in, and they knew that it would go really well in their stores because they've got all this organic food and they can supply to the cafe. And we were talking about this in um, February and March and then and, and we were going to go ahead, but the idea was that it was going to be so interactive. It was going to be like a cooking workshop space. So it would be a cafe, but it would also, we'd design it so that it was also more of an event space. And then obviously this all happened and everything got put on hold. And then we were talking again in kind of July and it was like, well, what, I mean, are we waiting for this to be over? Like, we still feel this is a good idea. And actually what I found during the pandemic beginning when the first lockdown and when all this came out was that, okay, people suddenly realize, and I hope if if any positive things come out of this pandemic is that people do realize that their health, and when, when I say health, I mean real health, like we've been discussing, like truly feeling nourished, rested, free. And there's been a an increased awareness that that isn't just some nice to have that you could, you know, oh, next year I'll, 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 I'll stop living like in a way that I know isn't nourishing myself because actually if we can be healthy, we, we, we can also like our immunity is higher and we can live in a, in a more vital way. And so I think that we'd noticed that like, particularly the organic world, that people were suddenly more interested in buying, healthy and organic produce for example so we realized that we should just go ahead and obviously it would be less about getting as many people into the cafe as possible which you know normally would be your Mm. your aim but actually just to be able to bring people healthy delicious plant-based food during this difficult time so yeah so in that sense there have been lots of challenges and obviously one is you know, people are going out less. And then the converse to that is maybe people are ordering in a lot, but, you know, the packaging challenges of that and delivery challenges of that have also been something that, you know, I, I spend a lot of time dealing with. Yeah. And 
And uh, you did mention this a little bit, but, you know, if you could just get into it a little bit more as to how you think our eating and buying habits will change yeah. during, during this pandemic and during this time. Obviously, you know, as everybody does, you live in a bubble that is the people that you know and that you are connected to via social media and via just the nature of your own social networks. But I've definitely noticed... So I can only speak about that. I do think there is an increased awareness suddenly that if the pandemic is doing anything good, it's, it's raising the consciousness perhaps around kind of more environmental issues and more health related issues. And that this isn't just a nice to have or something that you can continuously put off. So I think that if some good comes, then it may be around, okay, well, what is around eating more natural whole foods? And I do think that I definitely noticed it during the lockdown that I was getting more, like more traction, I guess, more people were more interested. I got more private messages around wanting to, to use the time to eat well, to cook more, to become more aware of what's in their food. So yeah, I, I hope that there will be a shift towards eating seasonally and locally, not, you know, because of fear that I don't want to buy into that, that people are suddenly fearing like, oh, all these Chinese imports and that's why we should eat local. Mm. I, I think it, it should always be driven by a positive striving rather than fear-based. So rather than fearing, oh, these things have become contaminated or these things are actually a you know, it's just about recognizing that, look, we have evolved and to eat real food, like the food that grows in the land around us and that we can't thrive on, we can survive, but we can't thrive without eating whole foods. I think there's a greater awareness around that. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What have you observed? I think, so I agree. I think that people are becoming, you know, they're kind of, and of course, speaking from the, the privileged position that we do hold, yeah, you know, exactly. I think people have become, they've sort of been forced to slow down. You know, they've been like, yeah. oh, we have to stop and, and we take an audit essentially of our lives. Exactly. And, you know, what we've been doing and what we've been prioritizing. And so yes. because of that, that change in, you know, prioritization, that change in perspective, people are sort of like compelled to actually examine what they're doing in day-to-day -day lives or what they're not doing. And I think that sort of like feeds in pretty well to like developing better habits or engaging with you know, larger yeah. conversations on environmental environmentalism and climate change. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's really well put. I think it is. It's about reprioritizing and, and becoming aware and having maybe maybe a bit more time to have reflected that will maybe change behavior in the future. But I do hope that it is due like I said, you know, due to that recognized recognizing what we can prioritize rather than like a fear-driven yeah. change. Yeah. And finally, Sarah, if you have like one sort of tip or one piece of advice that you had to give to mm. people listening in who've, you know, only just sort of started thinking about zero waste journey or sustainable living or you know mm. just sort of at the yeah. very beginning of making certain behavioral changes like what would you say to them I mean like I said when we discussed about being on the podcast I definitely you know I'm so inspired by by you and by you know one of the first people I met when I moved to Bangalore is Sahar yes. obviously <laughs> the and she's Been a really good friend and and she She's so inspiring and she's that. the first person I interviewed when I started my podcast. Really? Yeah. I, I saw she I knew she'd been on the podcast, but yeah, um, she's like the very so her and amazing. Mary um were like the first people that I had started my 
amplified journey with and and they're absolutely brilliant like i have no i have like heaps and heaps of love for them and i'm always like buying stuff from them so i just absolutely adore them <laughs> yeah it's so amazing and honestly i was introduced to her when i first was starting out and um she's such she's been such a huge both inspiration and like mentor for me even though our businesses are very very different but just in 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 a conscious business running a conscious business and and conscious living so i guess for me that i mean like with everything that i think the greatest way to start is to become aware for me it came the actual things to change became very much more natural and i you know sahar has amazing tips about you know starting small carrying simply saying no to being given excess packaging or plastic saying no to you know do, voting with your wallet like buying mm. from people that are conscious about zero waste values within their business but for me it did just happen more naturally as i just gained awareness of mm. all the ways in which i was creating excess waste i mean i'd gone from in london i i that this conversation about zero waste just wasn't as i don't know i wasn't as aware of it as i as i have been here living here for the last 4 years yeah and i found it just so much easier as soon as i had awareness of of the how many times like how many things come in single use plastics mm. i don't know i found it a lot easier to make those conscious choices and those shifts so i'm i i think that i liked the word you used of like doing a a little audit but just maybe i think that's kind of what i did is that mm. like i just sort of did a bit of an audit and then started whatever whether it was carrying my own bag or I mean within the food space it's just so health and zero waste are so linked and and that's also how I got more involved is that you know your vegetables come in their own amazing packaging it's called their skin yeah. and they don't need to be further wrapped in plastic yeah um and don't buy the ones that are wrapped in plastic and 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 actually have a conversation with the shop owner about why have you wrapped this like a zucchini cucumber like anything like why is that wrapped in plastic like it yeah. doesn't need to be and i have had that conversation with my like with the local store owner i mean like please don't stock these it's just so not needed and it's actually a hassle for me so yeah i i think that you know the idea of moving towards a healthier way of eating is naturally moving towards a less waste producing way of eating because fruits and vegetables don't need to be wrapped in plastic don't buy them if they are have conversations with with shop owners about not putting things in plastic that don't need to be mm. and then you know ensuring that yeah, as you naturally move towards a healthy way of eating of eating more plants then you naturally will eat less packaged foods which which come wrapped in in the worst kind of single use plastic and i guess one more thing is look for increasingly places have zero waste shopping options bulk buying and i know that's anyway very very natural in india and in a way that it just wasn't in the uk so just going back to that way of shopping it will naturally help you to mm. you know organically help you to eat better if you're buying things that aren't wrapped in plastic so from my health passionate about people's health perspective it's a really symbiotic journey to take of health and well-being alongside thinking about zero waste but obviously my other passion is about self-love and self-kindness so really really being gentle not being self-judgmental not using it as another stick to beat yourself with mm. of how you're not good enough because that doesn't help you do it yeah. better it just doesn't Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. I've learned a lot. I am, you know, really hungry to eat your food. 
And congratulations once again on your cafe. Thank you. And I know that must have been really difficult, you know, like putting aside this time with all that you've got going on. So I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. No, not at all. I think it's amazing what you're doing with your podcast. I think it's such an amazing way to, you know, to help people to change and to give people new perspectives. I really believe in it. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And I'm really, really honored to even be on it with the likes of some of your previous guests. So thank you. And it was really lovely to chat. And I hope we can meet in person when all this is over. (laughs) Great start to the weekend, first thing in the morning, starting a conversation with someone, you know, who's got like, who shares your values. And and I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in you can find all the relevant links and handles to know more about our guest this week in the episode description if you have any feedback suggestions requests or simply just want to get in touch with us then please do head over to our podcast website we are available to flag and say hi to via facebook instagram or email thank you and see you next week